thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show as we continue to answer your concerns and questions with the effects of coronavirus on your life, your health, and your wallet. And coming up later, I'm going to give you an update on your 401k, the stock market, and the rest because people have been very confused about how to handle their investments, and I'll deal with that as well. But right now, I want to do a reset with you. And I know that for so many of us, we've had so much piled on us in terms of information, rumors, and facts, as well as emotions involved in an incredibly short period of time is we deal with all the different layers health-wise and financially of coronavirus. And I want to give you my sense of where we are. First, the next several weeks are going to be the most difficult for us in America with coronavirus from a health standpoint and financially. From a health standpoint, it's now pretty clear what we need to do. It's a matter of getting all the elements in place. In terms of treating people who are already ill, the incredibly brave people in medicine are facing real danger themselves because of a lack of protective gear. And we all know that. So the supplies of protective gear will dramatically ramp up over the next few weeks, hopefully with as little harm to our brave people in medicine as possible. In addition, the protocols for treatment will steadily improve as we move through the month of April. And in late April and into May, we'll get to the proper medical protocol for testing regimens, and then the divisions into four, which you may have heard me describe, that have been most successful in the countries that have been able to manage coronavirus the best, which is where people are divided by, who, who have coronavirus, divided by level of symptoms, but segregated from, and uh, unfortunately in many cases from their family members, and at the same time, wait out a period of time, typically a couple of weeks, where people of lower no symptoms are no longer a threat to spreading coronavirus. And that's a key element that we're going to have to get in place. And there are people who fit in two rough categories with that, symptomless or modest levels of symptoms. And then categories three and four, obviously, are the people who need significant medical care and intervention, and getting the people who need it, the level of care, is something that will improve over the next several weeks. Once we have the medical side working as it should be, it allows us to deal with coronavirus as disease management more than a continuous question mark and life and death emergency. We are going to lose more people than we would have if we'd been prepared but medically, but that's, that's a fact, and we're just going to have to deal with that. 
and the social distancing now called uh, physical distancing and medicine because people have had trouble understanding social distancing. I don't understand why the terminology matters so much. But the idea of us protecting ourselves and protecting those we love by creating a safe physical space from others has been shown to be effective around the world and it will prove to be effective here, greatly reducing the number of fatalities we're going to have at a significant cost to the economy. That's a fact. The cost of the economy is an unknown at this point. But I want you to know that I've been looking at various uh, economic models because I'm the dullest man in the world and I've been studying them particularly very heavily on Saturday. And in the amount of time that it will likely take if we do an effective job of improving the medical protocol and we do our part as citizens to reduce the rate of infection, the ultimate effect on the economy will not be catastrophic. And I believe that we will be able, in a matter of, um, you could measure it in days, maybe a 50-day window, we're going to be able to bend the infection curve enough. And if we have the medical protocols in place, we will be in a position to more uh, to more effectively get people's confidence that it's safe for more and more of the economy to hit on normal cylinders. And that is my expectation. And one of the things you'll hear as a theme this week on our show is that the cavalry has not mounted its horses yet in terms of the money people are expecting to help with the avalanche of bills that really start Wednesday. But I want to tell you, and I will explain as I answer your questions, how it looks like the money equation in assistance that was in the third stimulus law will ultimately flow to you and how quickly. With that having been said, Kim, I want to say one last thing before I go to you asking First question posted at Clark.com slash ask. This is a scary time and it's been an unsettling time, but I can tell you clear as can be that we are going to be fine. We are going to be okay. As I've seen those uh, will be okay signs popping up around the country. We are going to be. It's going to be messy for a while, but I can already see where we are going to be okay because turning around a vast complicated nation like ours is harder than turning around an aircraft carrier but it's turning and the focus is getting to where it needs to be and we are going to be able to not just muddle through this we're going to overcome it so instead of you asking your questions directly, post for me at clark.com slash ask. Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions for you. Kim, who's up first? Abby is up first. She says, my husband and I are self-employed. Together we run a small jewelry company, just the two of us. Since COVID-19 became a serious problem, we are no longer earning money because people are not currently buying luxury items. 
We know that the new bill that passed will help us get unemployment. But since we run the business together, we file a joint tax return with all of our income from the business. Everything is totally tied together. We don't know what to do as far as documenting our income for unemployment assistance. My thought was just to split the income on each of the applications, but I'd love to know what you think is best. So let me tell you where we are in that. The U.S. Department of Labor normally would go through a lengthy process of issuing regulations to guide each of the 50 states how to pay the unusual cycle of unemployment compensation claims we're going to have with people who are self-employed, own their own small business, uh, independent contractors, gig workers, being eligible broadly for the first time ever for unemployment. The Labor Department cannot afford the luxury of the time it would take to have everybody sit around twiddle their thumbs while they take months to issue regulations. So what I'm expecting is that they will issue guidelines instead an authorization for states to go ahead and take uh, good faith applications from people and there will be a streamlined process that hopefully will be clear later this week where you as a small business owner will be able to apply for the $600 each that will go on for either, I'm sorry, I don't have a definitive answer yet, 16 or 17 weeks. If you want to do a division of income and do an application for each of you, I imagine that will be just fine as the process ends up launching. Joel? Clark Hank wrote in, he says, I work for a major airline in which we're working a reduced hourly schedule each week and I'm preparing to be potentially laid off in the near future. So my question for you is, I have approximately six months of wages and savings and I owe about $6,000 between a credit card and a car loan. Should I just pay the debts off or should I try to negotiate a payoff amount or continue payments as usual? Well, I would continue payments as usual and airline workers are going to be better protected than the general population. And there was a decision made by the Congress that the airline industry was a vital national industry. And so special provisions have been made for airlines to be able to be in a position to come back to life pretty quickly when people feel comfortable flying again and when commerce and leisure travel become part of our normal cycle again. So for you, I would pay only as agreed. I wouldn't rush to pay off balances because I want you with that cash cushion that you have been able to craft for yourself over time. That's going to be a big benefit to you moving forward. And I want you to preserve as much of that cash as you can. Um, As far as a partial cutback in hours, unusual in the new unemployment compensation Uh, statute, you are going to be eligible for partial unemployment for a partial layoff or hours cut back. And then if, in fact, the airline does lay you off completely, you'll be entitled to full regular state unemployment. And then in addition, for the four months, the $600 a week extra unemployment. So hopefully with the savings you have and the money you'll receive from unemployment, 
it sounds like you'll be able to ride this out a-okay. Kim? Susan says, I am a recent retiree and I'm concerned about pension plans during this market meltdown. Clark, can you speak to the effects COVID-19 may have on a small city pension? That's a great question. Pension plans around the country have been devastated, uh, typically based on the portfolios they have getting a double hit. The value of stocks that may be part of the portfolio of a pension and also the uh, more fixed income kind of aspects that underwrite pensions, both having been hit hard. Now, pensions are, when they're a government pension, are an obligation of a local or state government. And no one has said at this point that any pensions are in danger of failing to make their payments. Local and state governments have the ability to tax their citizens in order to make sure that pension obligations are met. But we're months from where today's problems would start to force government pensions to go back to the taxpayers for more money. So for now, I would not worry about your pension. And because I expect coronavirus to be a limited duration event, not something that is a multi-year event. I believe that pensions will be able to eventually heal themselves without too much worry about pension payments ceasing or being cut to recipients. Here on the Clark Howard Show, I'm answering questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask. And here's producer Joel with one of your questions. Clark Jane wrote in. She says, I heard you explain that cruise lines and airlines are required to give refunds, not credits, if they aren't operating. Is the same true for Disney World? Are they required to refund theme park tickets purchased in advance for reservations canceled due to the closure? They're offering credit towards future ticket purchases if we can't attend before December. That is a great question. Now, uh, on the uh, let me go back to what you said about airlines and cruise lines. Even though airlines are required to give you refunds for flights that are canceled, airlines, uh, particularly United, defying that and refusing to make refunds to people in spite of federal clear federal regulations and what's known as the contract of carriage, United's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? So other businesses, let's take Disney. If you bought a ticket for a specific time and it's not open, then it would be smart of Disney to say, yes, you can have your money back. But most Disney admissions, as I recall, are not date-specific unless you bought a variable price ticket that is date-specific. If it was a date-specific ticket and Disney's not opening the parks, I allege that Disney or Universal or anyone else with variable rate pricing where you bought for a specific date owes you a refund and not a credit for a future visit to the park. Uh, All these businesses are trying to hold on to cash to operate. And if you paid by a credit card and you're unhappy with the accommodation that Disney is offering with a future credit, you could dispute the charge for the tickets with your credit card company if Disney is not willing to do a refund. Kim? 
Frank wants to know, what does it mean to be furloughed? Will I be able to claim unemployment? That is a wonderful question. Furloughing at many places is a just a different term for a layoff. If you are furloughed, though, at some places, it means they maintain your benefits while you're not being paid for working hours. And my understanding is that in most states, a furloughed employee not getting paid but still receiving benefits would be able to file for unemployment and receive that compensation. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show as we continue dealing with the consequences to our economy of our partial national shutdown because of coronavirus. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, are both working very hard, our content writers, coming up with answers to your questions about your wallet And at ClarkDeals.com, specifically focusing on deals that are important to help you stretch your dollar on necessities during this coronavirus cycle that we're in. I want to talk about the stock market. We're not an investment show, but over the years, more and more people have turned to me for basic advice about how to save for retirement in particular, uh, 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, the various tools of the trade, saving in 529 plans for kids' colleges, the kind of things that nobody teaches us and we don't know where to turn. And so I give basic guideline advice to you how to handle those investments. Well, In the aftermath of the big declines in the stock market over the last few weeks, a lot of people have turned to me with questions about what they do with these investments. And I've given you my standard playbook that a lot depends on how soon you're going to need any of the money that you would have in a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, 401k, Uh, how close your kid is to college and a 529, and then how you're invested in each of those things. Are you well diversified? Are you appropriately invested for how soon you're going to use the money? And I had a question from someone yesterday who asked me, my kid is two years from college and her 529 account is down 22%. I thought that close to college, it wouldn't do that. And so in her case, her daughter was in the age-based portfolio that is designed to be a more conservative kind of mix. And because the various parts that would be considered to be conservative investing and more traditional, both got hit in the stock market route of the last few weeks, temporarily, 529 accounts, even those for kids closer to entering college, took it on the chin. That's a more unusual situation. Most of the people I'm hearing from with retirement accounts are many, many years, not two years away, like in the case of a 529 account, but it still hurts when you see those account balances shrink. So I keep being asked, have we hit a bottom? Who knows? If you take 
the value of companies after share prices have been crushed the last few weeks. Companies are not valued at really low prices when you take the value of the stock versus the profits, expected profits over time of companies. But they're not particularly overvalued either. This is a matter of confidence in investors and a matter of how quickly we turn the health equation on coronavirus. And by the way, on that health equation, you'll hear me over and over again come back to that because this is not a normal economic event. This was brought about by a health problem that we did not do our proper prep for. As we move into uh, catching up with that and we get the health equation under control, it makes the time period of us having to reduce economic activity to reduce a death rate in the United States, it makes that shorter and more manageable. And it means that a recovery of the economy can happen quicker than may have looked possible two weeks ago. So I can't tell you that everything's going to come up peaches and cream with your investments over the next several weeks or moving into months. But I can tell you that this is not Armageddon for investments. And if your time window is a reasonable one, you can't necessarily relax as you see values decline and move uh, wildly day by day. But I can tell you I have made no changes. I have sold nothing. And I have bought only as I normally would automatically each month. And so I have confidence at an age in my life where I stand more risk than most people. So I'm about to turn 65. But I will tell you that if it's money that you need tomorrow, more nerve-wracking. If it's money you need in five years, less nerve-wracking. If it's money you need in more than 10, you shouldn't be nervous at all. Kim? Dan says, I have a daughter that's attending college out of state. She was sent home early in March. I have the last of four tuition and room and board payments due April 1st. Should I make that last payment? I'm asking because I would be paying for a whole semester of room and board, and my daughter was on campus for less than half a semester. Right. Her classes were moved online. She is currently completing them at home. I would pay the tuition, not the room and board bill. That is a reasonable expectation. It should be expected that the university that she attends will offer concessions on rent and food plan. My daughter, who's a college sophomore, uh, we already received a communication from her college that people are, are actually going to receive partial refunds on both meal plan and on housing. Some colleges and universities are tapped out. They're broke. And they may not be in a position to make refunds for people who've already paid the full terms fees and tuition. But in a case like yours where you're paying uh, payments and cycles and you owe this April Fool's Day payment, I would say that it would not be a good idea to pay the room and house, the room and food because once you paid it, if the school is short of funds, it's going to be hard for you to get that back. 
Tuition, because the semester is continuing, should be paid. Joel? Clark Marine says, we would like to donate to help with coronavirus, but we want to make sure that the funds go to legitimate organizations. So can you suggest the best ways to to vet potential aid organizations? What a wonderful question. And the the advice I give in this area is similar to what I would give in the aftermath of a natural disaster. Start with organizations that you have either volunteered with in the past, donated to, that you have firsthand knowledge, that you believe in their mission, their efficiency, how they carry out that mission. I want you to be cautious giving to anyone who solicits you right now because you don't know who's friend or foe, who's real and who's not. And another thing you can look at is if you're on next door or you have a neighborhood Facebook group, if there are needs in your immediate neighborhood or uh, your immediate area that need to be addressed and are falling through the cracks, why don't you step in and help that way? Not necessarily with, with traditional charity, but maybe it's an elderly neighbor you're not aware of who lives on the next street who needs somebody to get her her medicine. Maybe she can't afford her medicine. And what you do is you fill that prescription and pay for it for her and drop it off to her. Maybe it's somebody who needs basic supplies right now and you step in. There are lots of ways right now where we as individuals can reach into our own resources in our own immediate vicinity and have direct and immediate impact. Kim? Michelle says, hello, a group from our public high school had a trip planned with an educational tour company. We were scheduled to travel to London April 2nd through 9th of this year. We had 57 participants. We've agreed to postpone the trip until 2021. About half of the participants are okay with that. The other half are asking for a 100% refund. The tour company's position is that we can postpone, take a voucher for another trip, transfer 100% of a participant's trip fee to a new participant should someone new want to join the 2021 trip, or they can get a refund of all but $800 of the trip fee. That's about 26%. As the trip director, I am meeting with our legal team today. Before I meet with them, I want to know what you think. Do you think it's reasonable and within our rights to ask for 100% of our money back for participants who wish to cancel? This is a great question, and you've posed a perfect scenario here. Throughout the travel industry, there are a lot of tour operators that are not going to survive this. And in reality, since the trip is not going to take place, not even of your own choosing, it is impossible logistically to take that trip now. It would be normal and natural for you to seek and receive a 100% refund. But the tour operators don't have the money. The offer they have made of giving back, what was it, 82%, Kim? That's right. 82% of the money is such that if there's circumstance in somebody's life that necessarily being able to take that trip delayed a year may not be something that's going to work, 
I would take 82 cents on the dollar and run. Because from a legal standpoint, you're almost certainly correct that you're due back 100% of that money. Well, it's not almost. You are due back 100% of that money. But we're talking reality now and what money is actually available out there. And if they're in a position to give back 82 cents on the dollar, I'd grab that money and run. Um, from my own experience, I am due a refund from an airline for an international trip that is I'm fully entitled to. And the airline has said they're, n they're not doing refunds, period. And so they have my money, and I don't have any way of forcing them to give me my money back other than I can do a chargeback with my credit card, which is something I may consider. Joel? Clark Josh wrote in. He says, my question is regarding the new rules for 401k withdrawals. Does it make sense for me to withdraw about 10000 bucks from my 401k to pay off my car? My car payment is at 7.5% interest with about a year and a half left on the payment. Uh, my understanding is that the new rules allow for penalty-free withdrawal, and I can pay the taxes over three years. I'm 33 years old. I work in auto manufacturing, and I'm in temporary. I'm temporary laid off. I've signed up for unemployment benefits, and I've got extra money and savings to cover expenses until that happens. But I don't know when I'm going to return at this point. So, aside from mortgage and student loans, the car is something I can take care of now with that 401k money. If you think it's a good idea, so it's a very interesting strategy you're talking about because that loan is at a relatively high interest rate on the car loan. I hate for you to be tempted to take money out of the 401k yet. Keep paying the car loan as agreed, and you don't have that long left on that loan anyway. If your finances do become more dire and it becomes more difficult to make a payment like that, then if you want to make the withdrawal from the 401k and know you can spread the taxes out but not pay penalty, go ahead and do it. But that would not be a financial planning kind of step like it sounds like you're talking about now. That would be a reactive step if money remains tight for you. I would prefer if you are able to stay strong financially with what you have on hand and what you get from unemployment that you continue to pay as agreed and that something like rating a portion of your 401k only becomes a necessary step when you get painted into a corner and not as an early action in an unusual time with the coronavirus. Here on the Clark Howard Show, I want you to post questions for me at clark.com ask, like thousands of your fellow listeners are doing. And then producers Kim and Joel are asking questions for you. Kim, who you got? This is from JT. My dad passed away in November and his I'm salary. I'm sorry, JT. I know. His salary was the majority of my parents' income, just under 200000 Now my mom makes significantly less by herself, well under 75000 How will this affect her eligibility for the upcoming stimulus checks since she reported her income on her tax return as married filing jointly? So uh, double whammy here, and I'm sorry that uh, you're facing the financial difficulties. So the way it will work with the stimulus as best has been determined is that when someone in 2020 
has a level of income that would qualify you for the stimulus that your 2019 or 2018 disqualifies you, you will not receive that money till next year. So it will be no help for current cash flow, but that eventually it will be a look back where you'll get that money down the road. There may be an additional form that will have to be filed with your 2020 tax return next year. That kind of thing nobody's really thought through yet for an unusual situation like yours where income is much lower current year than it was in the years that were the trigger qualifying years for the initial stimulus. Joel? Clark Darlene said, are churches considered a nonprofit under the stimulus package? I've not seen a provision addressing that, whether a church will be able to file for the special SBA loans. I'll look for that, and if I find that churches are in fact eligible, I will mention that tomorrow. Kim? Terry says, this is all hypothetical. Let's say you get laid off during COVID-19 and claim and receive unemployment. After a few weeks, your employer brings you back and pays you back pay since they will have the incentive under the SBA PPP program to do so. Would I, as an employee, have to pay back all the unemployment that I received? Incredible question that nobody has an answer to yet. Um, as a practical matter, how you would pay that back, uh, who knows? And that is the logical thing that would occur. But we're not talking logic right now, are we? So, so much was thrown together so quickly. And the employers, by the way, don't have to pay you retroactively. They only have to pay you from the day that their account is funded with the SBA loan and then 60 rolling days forward. So it is possible you could be on unemployment status, they get the money, and then you come back for 60 days. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. So we've had a significant number of people around the United States who have not been able to renew their driver's licenses. And although the procedure is varied from state to state, the general trend around the country and the guidance from the federal government, even allowing people to go through security at airports if anybody's flying, right now you can go with an expired license. So if you have a license that's been expired for months, this doesn't work. But if you have a license that has expired in the last several weeks that you have not been able to renew because of coronavirus, that license is good to go on the roads, not quite universally, but as generally accepted principles. Another thing that we have had a number of questions on in the past involved Real ID, where driver's licenses in so many states overwhelmingly, people were not compliant with the new federal requirement that you had to have a background process done on you in order to validate that you were, in fact, an American citizen, that you were who you say you were, and your license would have a star in the upper right-hand corner 
some states it has a star and another state symbol like California has a bear on top of the star or under the star. So that requirement now is delayed a whole year, doesn't go into effect till October of 21. So of things you need to worry about right now, your driver's license not high on the list. Now, there are still a um, fair number of people out on the roads, and we've had this complete collapse in the cost of a barrel of oil. And I want to tell you where the direction is with gasoline. Gasoline at wholesale now is just a little over 50 cents a gallon, five zero cents a gallon. And that's why in states with low state gas taxes, the price of a gallon of gas has now dropped below a dollar a gallon. The lowest we'll see around the country based on the price trends I'm seeing going to be somewhere around 80 cents a gallon. So even though the amount of miles being driven is down, it's still a significant number of miles. And these price trends will only reverse when Putin lets his foot off the throat of the American economy as he's attempting to destroy a significant um, segment of our U.S. economy, trying to destroy the U.S. energy industry. And that's why we have these ultra-low prices. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. There's been so many new provisions that have been adopted in terms of how retirement account money can be accessed that people are max confused. So I want to try to distill that down for you as best I can. Um, number one, there's a hardship withdrawal provision for 401ks that is incredibly unusual. So you are able now, if you're completely tapped out, you've got to have money to live on, you can withdraw up to $100,000, if you have that kind of money, in your 401k, you pay no 10% penalty, which would normally be the case, and the tax that you owe is spread over three years, where normally you would owe all that tax in a single year. If you were younger than 59 and a half, you'd owe the 10% penalty plus the tax. Now you have the ability to spread the tax out and avoid the 10% penalty. Only do this if you've got to have the money. But let me tell you the craziest thing. Okay, if you pull the money out of your 401k or an IRA and your life stabilizes financially, the government is giving you the ability to redeposit the money into your account and not be subject to tax. How they're going to handle that administratively, how the paperwork's going to work, I'm clueless. But it gives you the ability, if you really think you're going to need the money, and then later you're like, oops, I actually shouldn't have demolished my retirement plan. It gives you something we've never had before, which is a do-over. You also have the ability to do loans in a way that you've not been able to from a 401k. The amount of money you can borrow from a 401k is dramatically increased so that if you're still working at a place, let's say you're a two-income household. One of you loses his or her job. The other still has his or her job. And 
you can't meet all expenses. And so you go ahead and decide you're going to do a loan from the 401k. You're able to do a loan for larger amounts than you would have in the past. But don't treat it as a piggy bank unnecessarily. This is, this is like your backstop. If everything else isn't working for you, that would be what you would go to. But it's not a first option at all. Now, I want to deal with something that has been a big burden on retirees. Retirees are required, once you achieve a certain age, had been 70.5, now 72, to withdraw money out of your IRA or 401k each year. Well, people's amount they had to withdraw was based on where their accounts were, not where they are. So RMDs, required minimum, minimum distributions, are now waived for 2020. So you will only have to pull money out if you need it as a retiree. You won't have to pull it out involuntarily for an RMD. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.